Welcome to episode 252 of Coffee Pods and Was. The show is sponsored by Rad, Whoop, Rain, Fitter and LSKD. And this series is sponsored by GoWad Mobility First. You can download the GoWad app in the Play Store or the App Store and you can start your free trial. Find out why everyone from Medeiros to HWPO and the program are using GoWad to get better. Over a million users worldwide and a huge library of protocols to get you prepared and recovered better than ever. And they are also the original and best mobility test. Uh, today's guest is John Singleton from the program. John recaps the season and previews the off-season. He also dives into the coach-athlete relationship and his changing maturity during his time in the sport and how the program are using GoWad to better their product. Enjoy, listen, share and tag. So how are you? You're back. You're in. You're on the island again. Where You were in South America, was it? Yeah, we just decided this year, like, the, the thing is that, the, you know, especially from now, really until the games, the time can move quite quickly. So this year, like, okay, let's just take a, a full break after. And um, when they're going to Mexico and Costa Rica, which was which was much needed and awesome. Okay. Costa Rica, what's that like? Um, so I've, I actually, I used to live in, um, in South America, in Argentina, and... I was actually surprised at just how different it was to the other places in South Latin America I'd been to. And um, it was incredible, like going, just seeing jungle, going in, seeing a different culture. It was, um, it was really nice, a really nice place, really friendly people. So uh, I loved it there. And did you, were you like in amongst the locals or were you in like some kind of um, all-inclusive resort kind of thing? No, I went in amongst, I mean, the big advantage, this is what I like traveling is that, being able to speak Spanish, it kind of immerses you a lot more. So mm. the thing is you kind of enter into the culture a bit quicker than you normally would when you don't have the language. Yeah. Um, when did you live in Argentina? When? Um, I suppose in like 2013 or so, 2014, sometime around there. And why? Just because. Yeah, well, basically, yeah. I was, I was traveling, and um, actually, I, I, I basically I, I kind of missed uh, missed training and missed a gym, so I joined a gym there, and uh, and actually, I, I just really loved the gym, really loved the people, and we ended up going to uh, the Latin American regionals, which in Chile in 2014, um, on team there, and that was like a really good experience. So it was just. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that fell into place. But yeah, I, I look back at like very fond memories of Argentina. Because um, you, you've had uh, quite an interesting life. So I think anytime I've spoken to you, I've spoken to you about the program and about everything from, say, 2000 and, I don't know, 15 onwards or 16 onwards. But then I was listening to... Um, I was listening to Yami on Savan's podcast and he was talking about you and saying that you guys met in London and yeah. that uh, you had been, you lived in like Asia for a long time, did you? Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I, uh, I really didn't like school. So I loved martial arts and obviously for the, I was doing Chinese martial arts. So the kind of mecca of that place was China. So Basically, as soon as I could leave home, I did and just kind of packed my bag and, and flew over to China, uh, which, you know, there was, there was simplicity in it. But, you know, when I arrived, I realized what a hard decision that was. But at the time, it seemed like a good decision. Could you speak Chinese? No, I, I spoke nothing. <laughs> I actually remember, I, I remember rocking up to the, I actually stayed because China as well, this is, you know, this is quite a long time. This is like 2003, 2004, sometime around then. And so foreigners were only allowed in specific parts. And so when I arrived, I arrived into the uh, sports, like a sports university. And I basically rocked up in my backpack. And then I started, I went in to try and check in somewhere, but no one spoke English. So they just, they just kind of shuffled me into this room and I just sat there for hours thinking, what have I done <laughs> at this moment? Uh, and was that they were looking for someone who would be able to talk to you, basically? Yeah, and you know, and basically, just wanted my passport to check me in, but you know, I just kind of rocked up. I had no idea; they had no idea, <laughs> and I just sat in a room for hours. Uh, how long were you there for? Not, not the room, the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was there for like a year. And was it? Did it like? Did it disappoint then, or was it just different than you thought? 
Um, it, it was just, it got really intense. Um, so I arrived in Beijing and then I went to like a really small province in Henan, which is in the center. And there literally no one spoke English. Like I was the only foreigner. And, and also back then it's also different. Like I didn't have mobile phones. You know, it was like a 15 minute walk to an internet cafe. And, uh, and the only thing I did like once a week, I'd buy a phone card so I could like call the phone to, um, to call back home. And so, you know, it was, I think just the intensity of the experience started to build up. And, um, and in the end, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a bit too intense. I need to uh, go back home. And, uh, because I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I can't picture Chinese being a language that you just sort of pick up by being there. I feel like this kind of, because is it so different that the structures make it hard to just kind of like glean what people are talking about and stuff? Yeah, I think there's definitely a bigger learning curve with it. In the sense that you know, once you start understanding how they structure and how they form everything, then actually, it, it, it's a lot more logical than say English. But you have to go through that whole process of learning it through. And I, back then, I, you know, I was kind of conversational through necessity more than anything. Um, You're able to say yeah. phone phone cards and <laughs> yeah, phone card. <laughs> Basically, yeah. phone card. You know, where do, where's the train station? And where did uh, martial arts come from then? Was that like we was that from like watching movies or something, or did it something that you did as a kid? Yeah, as a kid, like um, it was just basically I was, I think when I was when I was a teenager, you know, I suppose you end up going like there's lots of different opportunities when you're a teenager, and you know, like there's the party drinking way and all these different things, and um, and I just really fell in love with like the structure of martial arts. Like I really enjoyed training. You know, that just that sensation of training and feeling good after training. And also there was like, a, in Chinese martial arts, it's kind of like a nice structure. So you've got this very nice family feeling, community feeling. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And so I kind of fell in love with, with martial arts and training and, and all the philosophy side of things. And that's kind of what drove me to move over there. Um, are you friends with Max from Think Tank? Um, we, we speak a competition, but, but not outside of that. Yeah. He seemed quite similar. Like he's big into that yeah. like st structure and like, I know he's interested in, um, I think it's jujitsu he's interested in, but it's similar, like discipline and, you know, like it's yeah. a lot of crossover. All the martial arts, I think they have this, you know, there's, there's a lot more, there's kind of a big structure to it. Um, yeah. it doesn't take place in kind of traditional sports. Yeah. Um, what was it you did then was it uh you did some kind of body work wasn't it like um yeah so that's where yanni and i met um was at university so basically after china i, I then came back and i went to study osteopathy which in the uk like back then was, it's a four-year master's degree and and yanni and i were there i'd kind of i was also uh, boxing at the time um in, in london where we went to uni and i remember yanni coming up to me and be like, ah, oh, you know, you're not that fit. And I was like, well, okay, you know, I think I'm pretty fit. <laughs> so, uh, and, and also again, the time's relevant because there are no CrossFit gyms in London, you know? So basically, Yami, uh, me, and this, uh, another guy who's in your brother's called Ricardo, went to this like Globo gym. And it must've been like the funniest site. You know, we're just running around, have, I mean, you know, form was horrendous, like doing like you know, jumping pull-ups and, partial wobbles or whatever we could find <laughs> you know doing that for like 15 20 minutes lying on the floor i mean it just must have looked ridiculous and uh and like we'd have a morning training routine where you know yami had got like a kettlebell so i'd cycle around to yami's house before uh, before uni and we'd like just run around the park and do like 21 kettlebell swings <laughs> just lying on that that, that was kind of the uh, the training routine and make paleo pancakes and stuff. Like we, were, we were all in on the uh, on the CrossFit way. Um, how do you view people like Yami now? Like because obviously that was that was quite a formative time for you in CrossFit, and then now I guess like do you see people like him as like rivals? Are you like are you on opposing sides, or how does it work? Um, I, I suppose I don't see the relationship as a rivalry. You know, like I have a lot of respect for Yami, what he's done and, and what he's managed to build. So I, I wouldn't say it's um, like a rivalry as such. It's more, I, I find it kind of exciting, the process of like, you know, how can you, how can you help someone to become better? 
Um, and I, I, it's more just that excitement of the of the process, really. And like, do you ever find yourself looking at other, um, like training houses, or coaching platforms, and being like, "Why are you doing that?" Like, that doesn't make, like, do you ever find like, do you ever assess it in that kind of way? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, sometimes like I suppose as well, you know, obviously as you're starting, you make a lot of mistakes, you learn a lot as you go through. And so and it's been a lot of years now that we've been involved in the sport, Yami and myself. I mean, we we it's like 2007 or something like that that mm. we started doing it. So it's quite a lot of years and, and there are these mistakes. And I think as CrossFit's relatively new as well you realize all the things that, that you have to go through. Like even back then, we we go to Bethnal Green Weightlifting Club with uh, Giles Greenwood and like learned snatch, learned clean and jerk. And so all those, you know, years of spending time developing, it, it just allows you to go into the sport with um, a bit more knowledge. And I think one of the things that, that helped myself and I say presumably helped Yami is we were studying at the same time as this like sport of CrossFit was emerging in Europe. And so it just, you know, we'd be, everything we study, we kind of relate back to the sport because we were so passionate about it. And I think that really helped develop um, a, an understanding. Hmm. Um, so I spoke to you uh, when you were at the games and it was like the the rest day that like wasn't a rest day then. Um, when we were talking, you mentioned, um, I think it was then, uh, that Sarah came up in conversation and you were talking about how when that ended that it was kind of uh I guess like a difficult period and like you know that it it's in uh it brought on some self-reflection and some you know like why did it happen and that kind of stuff and you know like it's a big change I guess and I saw then recently the program on the YouTube uh, channel put out like I guess a mini mini series documentary on the origins and it came up again there um and then very recently I heard you talking on Europe is going podcast and you were talking about Gabby and Christoph leaving yes um which on paper seems to be similar weighted if not more of a surprise maybe or like a similar level of surprise anyway or, or like oh okay um from the outset anyway and from hearing you talk about it, it seemed to be a bit like left of field maybe you're a bit like you know you didn't necessarily see it coming either and I was curious because you sounded like largely positive obviously not thrilled like you'd obviously rather it had stayed the way it was I guess but like you sounded a lot more positive talking about that than about Sarah leaving and I was curious is that because you've had longer in the sport is it because of the circumstances is it because of the difference in conversations that you had with the with both sets of people um you know it is true i think like the you know the circumstance is always hard an athlete leaving um and and when sarah left it, it was very hard because you know i was like super all in on on the process and, and i am now i think it's just being older and having gone through that previously it allows me to be a bit more reflected on it and not just take it into the negative. I think the one thing that was important, you know, it wasn't like not to be like a victim of the, the circumstance, you know, like Christoph and, and Gabby left, you know, what are the, the opportunities that arise from that rather than just going down into this kind of like negative uh, pathway where, where everything kind of seems bad and, you know, analyze these things. There are some things that you kind of um, are important to reflect on as well. You know, like why, obviously when someone leaves, it's because they're not happy. Um, so it's like asking those questions, you know, what's, what could we do in the future to, um, to allow that not to happen? And I, I think one of the big things for us is like, we've been so focused on performance, you know, like there's no question that you know, when Sarah left, for example, you know, the, the performance was incredible going back to back podium and, and then when, say, Gabby and Christoph left, you know, they're leaving off the back of doing just incredible things and the performance was on point. So it kind of, I think when people leave because of performance and they're not doing well, it makes it more of um, a logical and understandable reason to leave. But then there are obviously lots of all these other factors where you go, okay, well, actually we need to you know, look, reflect and decide how we can optimize things for kind of future generations coming forward. Do you have like an exit interview? Like, do you sit down and say, 
why or do you just like when they say like oh we're going do you just say okay or do you say like what did, did we do something wrong do we need to do something different or do you like is that too is it too fresh then um so we really like especially with the the athletes that i work with closely we you know we communicate every day and we'll often have like sit down reflect chat about things and um and the one thing that i think was important is that everything was kind of a discussion you know they, they ultimately got to the point where they made the decision that they would um, they'd like to leave and you know you kind of i didn't want to push back it's like accepting that decision um and also it's still quite fresh you know it's probably like four weeks ago and i think it was um it was something that they decided in the time i don't think that they thought too long and hard about it so it was quite a quick decision um from their side and and so I think when time passes, it actually allows sometimes it being a bit easier to look back and be like, okay, actually, what was going on? Why did I feel that way? And, and why did I decide to leave? So right now it's still quite fresh. Um, but I think over time, it's a useful process to reflect upon and be like, why did that decision happen? Is it, um, is it difficult? Is there an added element of difficulty when, because Christoph was obviously involved in coaching and he was involved in like, you know behind the scene he didn't just come and train and go home like is it more difficult uh when it's something like that going yeah you know like christoph and i you know we developed a friendship i mean the amount of times that you know like even from the start they kind of came well they came to live with us during lockdown we traveled together and and because um you know it was gabby and jacqueline competing and christoph and i were really behind the scenes and and supporting that journey and I think as like a behind the scenes team, you kind of develop um, quite a bond as well. You know, like, well, the, the athletes get back after the, you know, the event. Christoph and I went to go get Chipotle. And, and you know, it's nice to have someone to, because dealing with like elite level athletes can be quite stressful. So it's quite nice having someone you can relate to, chat to, talk to and, and work through. And Christoph was very much like that. So, yeah, you know, it's sad in, in, in that way. Um, what aspects of it are stressful working with elite athletes? <laughs> the the personal <laughs> aspect. <laughs> you know, if it if there was just the um, the objective side of doing it, it would be life would be easy. But you know the, the ups and downs of uh, of something like the games. Also, there's also like you know there's different personalities, so everyone's quite different. There are some commonalities, though, especially for athletes who are going back and repeating at the games. It's like, you know, they have a number in their head um, that they want to, to get to, because that's the easiest way that people, you know, as much as you talk about you know, people trying to improve on themselves, these things, you know, a lot of competitive athletes look at the number on the scoreboard and hold that as such, like, high value. And so when they go back to a competition, their, their way of looking at it is that if I get a better score... I've improved over the year. And so those ups and downs of when they're not necessarily achieving that can be quite, um, can be quite intense. So you, you get these like big highs and big lows and, and also they're like, can be super long days, you know, especially if you've got like an early briefing and sometimes you might not, you know, you might be in the venue for like 14 hours or, or you're shuttling in between to take them back home. Um, uh, you know, just, just making sure that their life's, um, as stress-free as possible really so and, and that and the the behind the scenes team kind of take the brunt of that um that stress and do you do you um do you hand any of that off when it's Jacqueline or do you just like swap roles mentally do you just like detach yourself um you know like relationship wise do you detach yourself from her in a personal relationship wise and just strictly be a coach or do you hand off that to somebody else who would be better able to be i guess more objective about it yeah so i actually i, I switch into the coach and so like this year jacqueline had like um you know lots of people around her who who can offer kind of more the the personal support so i would actually you know like we stay separately it is a lot more like um coach athlete relationship than a than a romantic relationship. And then she has that support network around her of, of friends and other people who kind of help buffer the, the emotional side of things. So that's probably, it adds to the, that little off season window then as well, because you can actually just be a couple and not be like thinking about competition or whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's nice. You know, it was, it was nice to take August off. Just um, really, just really reflect on the season, like where we want to go forward. The last the last few years, we've worked like really hard as a team, um, and there's not been much let up. So it was nice just to go. Okay, you know, appreciate how far we've come in in that journey, hmm. and also then, you know, put a bit of a structure of how we're going to be moving forward. Um. How do you feel about that the games went? Like, how, are you satisfied with it? Are you, is there, was Rant left on the table, do you think? Or are you happy with how everything went? Um, so, you know, it's one of those, like, the, the neurosome uh, kind of thing, you know, happy but, but hungry. It's like the, I think that we really did well as a team at the games. I think everything went, went very well, but there's, there's always room for improvement. You know, there's these little things that you can reflect on. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the, there's new things every year. Um, but you know, over the years, those new things have become smaller and smaller tweaks to make that we can reflect on and make better for next year. So I, I would say overall, um, happy. You know, like Gary went back into top ten, Jacqueline um, made into fifteenth, and then we had Moritz and Sola go through their their first games as well. And, and you know, that's um, the process that I think we we kind of managed to to make as much an enjoyable experience uh, for them as possible. Um, how many coaches did you have there? So we had, there was kind of, if we include Christoph in that, there were three main uh, coaches. And then Moritz also brought his girlfriend. So we have a, a new coach on board who's uh, Chris, who's just moved over to New York as well. Is that the tall guy? Yeah, the tall guy. <laughs> well, you know, we brought on some German precision to the team. Yeah, yeah, he's not um, like off away from the floor. He's not very emotive. <laughs> it's kind of I said hello to him a couple of times. It's just like blank, like intense, like nod. I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's like down, down to business. You know, Eric's just, uh, I really uh, I think it's a useful uh, quality, like very objective, and yeah. um, and I, I think that can be really useful. Uh, especially for kind of grounding the athletes as well. You know, seeing like all the, if, if you're kind of riding all these highs and lows, highs and lows through the weekend, I, I think it's hard to say kind of centered and grounded. And I think that it can be very useful for an athlete to kind of come back and come back to someone who's, who's not like super high, super low as well, but is actually just kind of centered and grounded to, you know, really reflect on, on how things were and how you can go forward. Yeah, well, I guess as well, if he loses it in the middle of the workout, you're going to pay attention to it. Like, if he's screaming something at you in the middle of the workout, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, one day, Chris would just lose it. Like, yeah, yeah. you like, rattling up. the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you look for in a coach then? Um, so, like, what did you see in him? Or what, or if you were to, to bring on another coach, what are, what are the characteristics that you... Like, do you... Is it, like, say, a deal-breaker that they're... I don't know, involved somehow with the program or familiar with it or follow it or does it matter? Do you, like, how, how do you uh, filter it down? Yeah, like at, at someone like Chris's level, that's that's crucial. Like being in our kind of, our methodology, how we work, understanding our philosophies, that, that's like very important. Uh, in terms of the skills, it's actually someone who, who brings a different set of, um, who looks at things in a different way. So it's actually someone who kind of complements the team, someone who comes in and, and has a different way of looking at things that we can go, okay, that's quite interesting. How can we use that? You know, it's important that everyone just doesn't think the, the same way. You know, we don't just have a, a group of people who all just have exactly the same thought process and, um, and move forward, but actually they can bring a bit of an outside perspective. Yeah. Would you ever do like, um, you know, have like an aerobic person a weightlifting person uh, you know that kind of way uh, so we have we have had uh specialists so we do have specialists you know we have like uh, lorenzo who who helps swimming and and we so we sometimes bring in specialists the thing is it can actually be really hard to integrate sometimes um you know if you've got like you've got this speciality for aerobic conditioning you've got a speciality for lifting it it sometimes can be too much to try and gel them all together and you kind of lose the essence of process. Is that like in um, 
like in secondary school where your geography teacher doesn't know what homework your French teacher has given you and like doubles up or, you know, like bur- exactly. overburdens you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause they might be very conflicting. Um, yeah. you know, and so I think it's important that there's, there's definitely like a, someone who's steeped in CrossFit has a, an overview of the programming because that's really what we're trying to compete for. So even though you want to become better, improve your strength, it still needs to be relevant to the sport, not just building absolute strength, but forgetting everything else. Hmm. Um, did you watch uh, Ben Bergeron on Morning Shock Up the other day? Yeah, I, I uh, watched through that one, yeah. Yeah, what did you think of that conversation? Um, you know, obviously, it's been, it must be a very hard time for, uh, for comp train. You know, like, mm. you know, they've kind of had the, all the big names have gone. And there was, there was also a lot of talk of them building this kind of academy and that had a lot of momentum, but it didn't seem to come to fruition. So it must be a really hard time for them. And we've also had the rise of the kind of athlete-led training programs. Obviously, hard work pays off. Proven, Mayhem. They're really the programs that have, like, boomed over the last couple of years. And the kind of coach-led programs, let's say, uh, like CompTrain, um, have not had that same momentum forward. So I was just interested to see like what direction they, they want to be going in and, um, and their, their thought process. You know, they're obviously like, you know, one of the programs have been in the game for a, for a lot of years. So it's kind of interesting to see what they're looking to do. Do you, do you feel like there's um, an unfair level of focus on people leaving Comtrain compared to like say from just from where I'm sitting and I don't know if this is because it's a European American thing or whatever, but like Gabby and Christoph left and like, there wasn't that much talk about it. Like it kind of mentioned for like a couple of days and then it just kind of seemed to go away. Whereas with Comtrain, it was like, people are still talking about it and will continue to talk about it probably up to the games next year. So Do you think that's because it's Matt as well? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's probably not just one factor, but, you know, like, for example, Katrin, like, has a million followers and has won the games and, and you know, was, like, kind of with, with CompTrain for so many years. And the fact that they all moved over to another training program, there, there are kind of lots of factors, I think, that become interesting in that. that there's a lot more, like, depth and dynamics to to that process of, of all of them moving over, you know, and also the fact that one of Comtrain's main coaches in, in Harry moved over as well to hard work pays off. So I think there's a lot more dynamics in that, um, in that instance than, than with us. It's interesting as well. Cause I think I was kind of naive up until that happened thinking like an athlete just goes and finds a coach and, works well with them and just like settles in whereas like in reality there's like contracts and in some cases like money is exchanged or deals are made to stay there for x amount of time or to you know that kind of stuff i think i just i don't know did i pretend that wouldn't exist or did i just assume it didn't or what well what what are your thoughts on the on the change well it's harry led i mean like you know they all they were all incredibly complimentary of Harry when working with Harry at CompTrain. Like he was the one that they talked about even then. I remember Amanda talking about him. Like she, he was the reason she moved in the first place, like moved whatever halfway across the country. Um, I think it spoke volumes that Sam stayed working with him when Harry had left CompTrain. I was like, okay, well, Sam's going to be with HWPO next year then when he signed with HWPO. I feel like the... I don't know, like, I, I'm always kind of interested. I just kind of feel sometimes when Ben talks, I, I kind of wish, like, and it's hard because obviously you don't want to say the wrong thing and you don't want to, you, you know, you don't want to come across as bitter. Or you don't, you know, that you kind of want to avoid that side of it, I guess. But I just kind of feel like when essentially nothing is said, it just kind of leads to a vacuum that's filled by other people then where, yeah. you know, in that interview, he was like, Oh, like largely saying kind of similar echoing things that you're saying there with Gabby where you kind of don't push back and you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of like oh god like what's happening or whatever but I think he just kind of 
he talked a lot without really saying a lot. So then there's a gap yeah. for people to say, well, I think this is what's happening, you know, and, and then it, it, it just kind of magnifies or it gets worse or it gets, I don't know, it, it like it ends up looking worse than it actually is. Yeah, that was kind of our our conclusion as well, is that actually it was it was hard. There was there was no like everything was kind of went around the subject rather than directly to it. Um, and, and maybe that's for reasons they don't actually, you know, maybe they don't know, maybe they do know, maybe no one knows, you know, it might just be one of those things. But as you say, yes, it, the vacuums can often, um, you know, people fill a vacuum with whatever they want to fill it. Because mm. even you, you look at, sorry, one. No, but you raise an interesting uh, subject. And I've actually had like a lot of conversations about this more so in the last few years. Because also, like, you know, back in the day, like there weren't agents involved in sports. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, I, I feel like there's kind of the sports post-COVID and the sport pre-COVID. And all of a sudden, when we emerge from COVID and things start moving again, it seems like agents are a lot more involved in the sport. There's, it, it feels very different to how it does maybe did like three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, it's almost like not spoken about subjects. And I don't know if it's, it's right not speaking about it, but yes, training programs, paying athletes to be on board. Um, and we've had some, you know, obviously we're, we're involved with, with some of the best athletes on the sport. So we get exposed to this kind of things. And, and we had an instance where just like for full disclosure, we don't pay our athletes to, to be on board the program. I don't think it's like, um, I don't think it creates a healthy relationship personally. I think that, you know, coaches give a lot to the athletes and that, that you know, it's a lot of work involved. And I, I think it creates a healthier dynamic between a coach and an athlete when there's that some kind of reciprocal way. But when the coach is also then paying an athlete to be on board, I think it creates a strange dynamic. Um, whereas we've had, we, we actually lost one of our um games athletes because a, a training program reached out and basically paid them you know it wasn't significant money but they, they paid them to just come on board and you're like well you know it, it, it's not uh you know it's kind of the stuff in the sport that's not the the nicest to happen and for us you know we're we're obviously um a big training program but i really you know i really feel for like the coaches who've worked with an athlete for a long period of time and then, you know, this training program comes along, goes, okay, well, you know, here's this money, come on board, and then the athlete leaves. It's, it's not a, a nice thing to, to happen in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think I I remember someone saying it to me that they told me, like, a list of three or four people that are paid to be on certain programs. And I was just like, fuck, like, I, like how did I not tweak or that that was a thing like how how was I so naive that I just thought it just never entered my realm of consciousness that it would be a thing but like which three people were those (laughs) 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 um yeah that's my question um (laughs) yeah but like I I I just couldn't uh I just couldn't I don't know I couldn't I could like straight away when I heard it I was like oh obviously but like I was I was more shocked that I never conceived it as a possibility that it would be happening I think because and it's probably just a like you know the sport was maybe naive pre-COVID as in there wasn't as much of that happening and there wasn't as many like managers or agents and and it's and I'm not saying that managers or agents I'm not saying it in the way that I I don't talk about agents or managers in CrossFit the way I would about agents or managers in football for example where I think there is an element of greed about it and an element of like you know like how can I better myself like you know we need new contract that kind of stuff um I don't think it's the same in CrossFit and again like you know maybe maybe I'm being naive again but I think there is more of an element of the human side of it in CrossFit because it's maybe a sport that's more in its infancy than in football or whatever. And there's like less large amount of monies involved or big corporations involved in it. But like when I hear someone like Matt O'Keefe talking about the people that he works with, I don't get the impression that he's out for his like little silver coin. Or when I hear like Snarry talk about people, I don't get that impression of him either. Um, but yeah, I guess like it's hard if there's if there's someone who's training and is confident in their abilities and thinks well it's only a training program and then someone comes along and says hey 
uh, you can continue to trade the way that you're training, but I'll give you 10 grand a month or I'll give you 40 grand a year or whatever. Then you're like, well, fuck, that's a year's salary for a teacher. Like, and I'm just doing what I'm already doing. Like, what, you know, why not? It's hard to turn your nose up at it. Yeah, of course, the, the money changes things. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Like the sport is still small enough that pretty much everyone involved is passion driven. You know, every, everyone's united because they all love doing CrossFit. You know, everyone loves, loves doing CrossFit, loves throwing down in the community. And so it's very much still that core, core group. However, I, you know, I have noticed like over the years, you do start to kind of add these different layers of, you know, most people now there's, like most people have nutritionists, they have some form of sports psychology, they have various forms of therapists, they have different types of coaches, you have agents, you know, like you, you've all of a sudden, if you go back like a number of years, it was very rare to have all of those people involved in an athlete, it would it'd just be like a couple, and usually just friends kind of helping out, you know, media teams, you know, there's like a, a huge, um, a huge amount of people now involved in, uh, in the journey of each athlete. Hmm. yeah and then it's even like you hear um again i heard some numbers thrown around that people get for like contracts with clothing companies or you know like sponsors and stuff and then you're like my god like <laughs> like it's insane like some of the amounts of money that you hear and you don't expect it in the sport like you expect i guess you expect it to be more modest like not that it should be but when you hear the numbers that are being talked about, you're like, fucking hell, all right. Like, you know, Jesus, like I wasn't expecting it to be that high. Yeah, and I actually think that's one of the huge positives for the sport because it means it can allow it to grow. Mm. You know, like, it's just everyone can become more professional. Everyone gets more exposure. And so I think those things are really positive that more money comes into the sport. It allows kind of the athletes to live full-time, it allows their support team to to help them. It allows, you know, it's more exciting in the media because the media quality goes up. And so I, I think that kind of can drive the sport forward in a really positive way. And it's but good it really, for the, obviously good for the brand because they, they see the value in that visibility. But it reduces the pressure on competition as well. Like you can kind of let the reins off a little bit more, I'd say, like Wadapalooza, which is whatever, like say, three hundred thousand dollars or whatever is the prize money but like that's a shoe contract now for someone do you know what i mean like whereas you know like that like five years ago i'd be like oh shit like this is make or break for the next three years or whatever whereas now it's like oh i just signed with whoever oh, this is grand I'll, like if i win great but i mean i'm pretty okay anyway yeah you know there's some I, you know and this is like from the old school of the sport there's, there's definitely a new era like you know i remember going to competitions or whatever it may be and and just some of the stories of where the athletes came from and how they got there. Like there, there used to be a competition in uh, Denmark, uh, which, you know, Denmark was one of kind of the, the original place where CrossFit was in, uh, in Europe. It's a competition called Fit as Fuck. And there was, uh, yeah, <laughs> old school CrossFit, like high socks and, uh, and all that going on. And there was an athlete called uh, Mikko Rumpa, who was, he was a Finnish Games athlete. And he went quite a few times, like extremely good. And, and basically he rocked up to the last day of competition. There was like a really bad train service or something. So he'd like got up at 3 a.m., got like three trains to the competition venue for Sunday, went in, still won all the competitions. And, you know, there's like all these like fun stories that are really inspiring um, from back in the, the CrossFit day, that, you know, are unlikely to happen now because, you know, it, it, this, everything's just a lot more structured and organized. Hmm. Well, look at Uldus. He had to cycle to the rowing event at Lowlands and he won it because his Uber didn't turn up or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's all these uh, yeah. fun stories through. Um, would you ever message or like start a conversation with someone that you thought you could help? Like say if, say if you saw, um, I'll give you a hypothetical so that no, there's no like litigious nature involved. So say I was training with Yami and mm. I was like a bubble person and was like, Oh, like maybe like top 10 at semi-final maybe. And then you thought, Oh, I know what's missing there. I, I can see the missing piece. Would you ever approach someone and say, 
if you're ever thinking about leaving, like, let me know, or, or is it, or is it more a case of like someone, like, do people always come to you? Do, or is it more complicated than that? Um, so, you know, if someone's on, you know, if someone, you know, someone's working with, with a coach or a training program, you know, you, you wouldn't reach out to them directly. You know, we have, you know, the athletes show me messages from like the big name training programs, basically reaching out to them and asking them to be on board. You're like, come on, you know, especially when you see, you know, the coaches and everyone involved, you're like, why are you reaching out to this athlete? So because I'm frustrated by that, that wouldn't be a process. You know, if there's an athlete who you know, maybe not working with anyone or in that instance, yeah, sure, just to, to have the conversation. And usually it's just a conversation to see what they're, um, they're doing. And this is where things get changed as well. You know, like, I think it's almost like the, the paying someone to come on board is where it gets a bit tricky. You know, it's like, hey, come on board for this amount of money and just join the program. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel or doesn't sit right with um, myself. Um. I was talking to somebody recently and they had had um, an athlete leave their program and they were like catching some shit for it. Like as in, you know, people, people were looking for a bit of drama and people were kind of judging the fact that the person had left. Um, And they said that there's a general consensus that the, coaches that coaches need athletes and that coaches need like you know games athletes and big athletes and how the opposite is true like that it's not necessarily the case at all but people just assume it is because the athletes have the fame that the coaches are like you know coming cap in hand being now i'm really elaborating on one sentence that i was sent (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm like adding a lot of you know between the lines but i get the impression what they meant was that people people are when people see for example and i I don't know the ins and outs of it but for example when katrin left comp train um people if nothing was ever said about it and if nobody if she never talked about it and if ben never talked about it people would assume that it was her decision and ben was in the wrong somehow that you know he's lost out basically that the, oh no like the athlete is gone or whatever whereas in reality not with that case but in other cases that might not be the case that the athlete might have been asked to leave or that the relationship might have just ran its course and that maybe the coach is better off and that maybe for say gen pop like myself who might assume that athletes hold all the power and that athletes are the coaches are like oh jesus i can't lose an athlete etc that in reality it could be totally different the coach could be like yeah fuck a good riddance like there's you know i'll get someone who wants to be here etc yeah so so i think that you know one working with the best in the sport requires a huge amount of commitment, time, energy, experience. And actually, you know, it's often not the most financially rewarding. You know, actually you can go out, you know, for example, you could do weekend seminars. I could go out and coach more of a a general population and earn more money that way than actually working with the, the elite athletes. No, I think that the obvious thing is if you want to, uh, to be a coach of the best in the world, then you need to have athletes who have that potential to be the best in the world. So I, I think it is more complex in the sense that it's a reciprocal relationship because, mm-hmm. you know, it's very important that the the athlete gets good programming, good coaching, is put in a supportive environment. But then for all of those things to kind of function, it's very important that that programming has an athlete that responds to all of those things and is able to perform. You know, if you have all of these things in place, but you don't have the talent of the athletes, nothing really is going to work. So you need both sides to be functioning well. And and I think that's why it's an important way to look at it. I, I don't think it's like, you know, one side holds all the power. I think it is very much, uh, as I said before, this reciprocal relationship where, the athletes gain something from it and also the, the training program or the coach can gain something from it. And, and that's what just needs to be clarified from both sides. Hmm. Like when you say, when somebody comes to um, Mallorca to train like in-house, we'll say to, you know, like, Oh, I'm going all in, I'm going to move to Mallorca. Do you like, 
is there a line say that they need to be over to be like yeah okay you can come like say if there's like say if i was like hey guys i'm gonna come to me or would you be like ah no you're not <laughs> yeah we get many requests um of people wanting to come over and and train and, and so we are very selective in that because you know as you know it's actually very hard you know this would be an interesting question which which training program do you think has been able to maintain its staple of athletes for for a long period of time um well it's tricky you look at like you can't you can't include hwpo in that conversation you can't include like, proven in that really conversation. Have, you can't really have that time. Yeah, you can't really include proven in it either. Um, yeah, I think proven is maybe the one that's that's had the most success. They have a very different dynamic. Probably, than... probably training think tank. I guess would be up there. Like Noah's been there years. Travis has been there years. Like they've, I the only person in recent memory I remember leaving is Chandler, and that was just because he wasn't in the army anymore and his life changed. It's not because he was like, right, fuck this, George, I'm out. Like it was, you know, it was it was there was no animosity to it, I don't think. So he training think tank could probably be the one that jumps to mind, I guess. Yeah. I think it's just hard, you know, especially over the last few seasons, we've seen so many like changes so quickly. And hmm. so that group dynamic is extremely important of having the right people that kind of positive, positively support the group, because if that doesn't happen, everything can just fall apart so quickly. Um, mm -hmm. So that, so having, you know, if, if you bring, even if they're the best athlete in the world, but they kind of destroy the group, it, it, it's really hard. You know, what do you do in that scenario? You've got an athlete who's, who's the best in the world, but they're, they're not great in the group setting. It, it makes it very tough to manage. Um. The next while then for the program, are you keen to say fill the two consistent spots that were taken in Mallorca? Like, are you looking for someone to bring over? Is it more natural than that? Will you just see if something happens? Are you fussed? Like, or are you? We're not in a rush. You know, we've we've now built like a really nice structure. As I said, we've got like we've got two full time coaches now on the island, so we have uh, they're both German actually. So we have Dom and uh, Chris. And myself here and and it's very important to us that we create the right environment in order to get athletes improving being happy and, and moving along that way so we're definitely not in a rush to kind of fill things and we want to make sure that, that as we progress we do so in the, in a good strong way hmm. um i've heard you talk about grassroots a bit yeah um I think it came up, we were talking once about, I think I was talking to you about HWPO signing like, you know, six people and you were, you, you, I think you, you kind of said like, you know, you know them. you're going to throw me under the bus here, right? No, you were like, well, you were like, well, good for them, but I don't know what it does for grassroots was, I think, something along the lines of what you said of like, yes, how, you know, that the big, the big names moving is exciting and it's interesting, but does it help like, you know, someone on the cusp at semifinals or whatever, or, or lower again. Yeah, so I think this is a big distinction between like, you know, actually when, you know, when you've got an athlete who's been top 10 at the games and they switch training program, it's a very different process to having an athlete that hasn't made games and working them up into the top 10. And, and they're very different. And, and I think this is something we're starting to see in the sport now is that these you know, top 10 athletes kind of switch, move around. It's very different to working with an athlete and taking them from you know in essence kind of like a regional semi-final level up to the games and then up into the the top 10 they're quite different processes and and i think that's something that we've in the program we've really you know honed after all of these years is actually working with that that level of athlete and and showing that we can take them from this kind of regional semi level and take them all the way through into into top 10 um, but really, yes, just the swapping around of the top 10 and, and coaching them for an environment is quite different. I, I think they're different um, approaches and, and skills in, in that way. Um, would you ever look at doing a program team, like having a run at? Honestly, we, so we had, um, we actually were, were at Filthy 150, um, where we had the, when they had the super team year. Yeah. You know, I think there'll always be like an asterisk in like the 
between 2019 and 2020 of the game stuff because everything was so strange. But I think if they did super teams again, uh, we'd go for it because I quite like that style. Oh, I meant to talk to you about this. So we we brought so me and you had a or you and I well you and Justin Berg had a conversation. I was standing in front of you while you were having the conversation. I wasn't really involved in it. Um, I was I got involved at the end because I was like they're both saying the same thing as each other, but they just don't realize that they're both saying the same thing as each other. Um, but you were of the opinion that the affiliate cup should essentially stop being the affiliate cup and just be the team cup and just have super teams just lean into the fact that you know it should just avoid these rules these hoops of you have to live here you have to do this you have to do that and just have to bring it that you can bring people in and that you can draft and whatever and he was of the opinion that they need to lean further away from that and that next year they'll try harder to make it more difficult to just bring someone over or whatever mm-hmm. um and i was curious is, is the reason that you feel that way and maybe i'm misdescribing it or misremembering it but is the reason that you feel that way because it just enhances the spotlight because it makes it more of a spectacle um what well, no actually is because basically what happens is it becomes like a financial investment so obviously the you know i don't think anyone argues that, that mayhem that reykjavik are basically super teams who fit in who kind of fit the box of the rule and, and because you know bringing a forming a team for six months of high-level athletes is super expensive and very hard to do. And so there's only a few people who have that capacity. And you even see it, you know, okay, you've got the extremes, the mayhem, Reykjavik, but you also have, you know, even with local people who fly one team member over who's not from it. And so I don't think it fulfills the essence of, of that affiliate nature. I'd actually say the team that has managed to be the most successful kind of affiliate is actually Oslo. You know, they, they're people who live, live in the same region, from the same place. And so I actually think that, that there's kind of like the true affiliates, which I think it, I completely agree that it'd be super interesting to have a, a competition that kind of centers in on this, on the affiliate side. But then in the sport, because you make it competitive, there's money available. Inevitably, people kind of, you know, will, will stick to the rules but do it in the best way possible. So I, the reason is, is that I think that, you know, in essence, in order to win what is the affiliate cup, people basically create super teams within the rules of the affiliate. And I think that takes away from the, the nature of the affiliate cup. Yeah. Would it not make it worse though, if you said, okay, you can, you can just do super teams then. Would it not make, would it not widen the gap then where you'd have people like Oslo losing people because like mayhem or like, oh, get that guy over here. Yeah, or well, I think they, you know, it, it in essence should be separated in a way. Okay. Finding yeah. a way that they, they could be separated because yes, you're right that if you if you do that, you're obviously not going to have, you know, the affiliates. It, it just gets very tricky to um, kind of combine the two. Well, you'd have the best affiliate team in like ninth, probably. Do you know what I mean? Because you'd have other like super teams with big budgets mm-hmm. or big sponsors or whatever ahead of them. Who are just yeah. able to cobble together like four people i also think it'd be a lot more exciting you know like because then you could bring back you know honestly when they did super teams there were some super cool teams forming and athletes that you know who maybe gone into retirement who maybe have thought about masters but don't want to would all of a sudden all form this team and you mm. get some of the legends from the sport kind of have this a new window of opportunity within the super team so i actually thought it's a great opportunity for for athletes who've left who've left the elite to also still be involved and and also you get to see some really cool specialists who may not have the kind of breadth of skills to perform well at the games but they can do you know they lift super heavy weights they're amazing gymnast or and, and so you can start to form teams that are, are really exciting um, without the limitations and then i think that you can reward the affiliates in a in a different way outside of that that structure so you just you kind of form two different avenues. Um, you s- joined, or well, you've you've been involved with GoWad for a while, but you, the program is officially on the GoWad app. Um, I heard Thibaut talking about it on um, the Europe is Coming podcast. Um, 
He's some shyster. He told me, so for the last like year, he's been telling me, oh no, my English is shit. I can't do an interview. And then I heard him on, like, it was actually Jake Marconi. I said it to Jake like that. Oh, I'm trying to get him on. He won't come on. He's telling me his English is shit. And he was like, he's filling you with horseshit. His English is better than mine. Um, And then I heard him on that. And I was like, bastard, like his English, it genuinely is better than mine. Like he has a better grasp of English than me. Um, But it was interesting the things he was saying. So first of all, he told me that uh, he told me he told um, her and I heard it on her show um, that the relationship started with you just like walking up to him and <laughs> saying like, oh, I like your I like your app. Yeah, it was just like um, we uh, I think Jack was competing at the French throwdown and obviously they were they were there as a French company. And I saw the stand and I was walking around between events. I was like, ah, what, what are you guys doing? You know, that's like a, that's a really good idea, <laughs> and uh, and obviously it turns out it was a really good idea. You know, yeah. like four years later, it's remarkable the growth they've had, like insane. Really, yeah, it's phenomenal. Like I'm I'm super happy for them. Also, you know, there's so many things that I'm super happy about. One that like a European um, company that has done really well, and that's quite unusual. The fact that they've stayed in Europe and kind of stayed true to that. Mm. And also the fact they are like so passionate about CrossFit and, you know, they, they'll often make decisions not necessarily based on like financial gain, but what's good for the sport. And, and having a company like that in the sport is just incredible, you know, like they're willing to see the sport grow, even though it might not benefit them personally. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so they sponsored yeah. this. They sponsored this show, and you mean you'd have to question their logic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's, you guys, I'm looking at the bottom of your screen. You know, you've got some. You're gonna need more space soon. Start filling the top. I'll do two separate screens. <laughs> <laughs> um, when uh, so when you signed up, then like so, there's a, there's a kind of a, a partnership there now. Um, and am I right in saying that if you? If you go on, if I go on to the GoOut app and and like pick that I'm a, a program athlete or that I'm following the programming from the program, that it will have specific protocols for Monday morning session or whatever, or Wednesday's cardio session or whatever. Exactly. So, so as basically, if you're a program program athlete, you can then log on to GoOut of that day, and you'll have a specific warm up based on your needs as well that's based on the programming that you will be doing that day. Uh, does that add to your workload as a coach? Like, do you, does it change anything for you or is it just like another box to tick? Um, no, because so the, the relationship we have with them is that um, in essence, they will, we, we pre-send them our programming and they help develop the protocols. Oh, that's good. Um, has your role changed uh, within the company? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about the structure of it where like maybe you know, you mentioned pre-COVID and stuff, there was a time where it was like you and you were doing programming and you were doing like advertising and you were trying to, you know, share the word and stuff and spread the word. And then during COVID, you had like the program at home and you, you know, you mentioned the super team kind of era was kind of in around that time as well. And then now you're taking on coaches, you're doing programming, you're like, have you, have you stepped back? Are you as involved in the day-to-day as you were? Have you stepped back? Have you got different roles now that you didn't have before? Or have you kind of lessened yes. or narrowed your focus? September was always going to be um, a change for me because what I was doing just wasn't uh, sustainable. So you know, you're completely right that we've, we've entered a bit of a new era and new structure, which is why we've got uh, Chris and Dom living on the island now. So, you know, honestly, like I have an amazing team behind me now who help supporting the growth of the program. And so I've also looked at my role as like, okay, how can I help grow our coaches? How can I help our team as well as being there for, for the athletes? So I'm not as, um, I'm more of in a supportive role than like an all in direct role. Uh, and, and, you know, that's going to be, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, journey for, for me as well, you know, like having to, uh, to agree with other people about what to do. Uh, yeah. But it, it's been, it's been super nice so far. And, and it's something that, you know, it's not just a, a quick decision. It's something we've been building over, over a quite long period of time because the right fit is so important, especially for coaching. 
Like we are, in essence, our core of what we do is coaching and helping athletes become better. And so finding finding the right fit in in that was it is just so crucially important. And that's why it's taken quite a long time. You, know, you can't we couldn't have just thrown anyone into these roles. It, it took quite a lot of development to get there. So uh, maybe maybe the specifics of it aren't very clear yet. Like maybe you're kind of still like finding it. But it, it, would it be a case that you would set out, say, 12 months or whatever, six months and an overarching plan of like what the programming will look like for this group of people, this group of people, this specific person or whatever. And then the guys would take over and kind of, you know, you, you've said, oh, we want to develop speed and power for these two months. And then they dive into that and how to do it. Or would, are you still going to have more of a, a macro um, view of it? Yes. So we still have, so it, it depends that we have quite a lot of, um, programs at the moment but if we kind of hone it into say uh, the program two which is like designed for our elite competitive athletes obviously we have certain competitions through the off season and from our athletes from semi-final all the way to games all of them have an individual coach they work with and so what we will do is then make sure that you no. Know, for example an athlete competing at rogue we're like okay how do we focus and make sure this is optimized um, for Rogue, you know, we might understand that, say, for example, we're, we're building some bit of strength this time, so we might not have, like, the kind of the complete picture ready um, as we move forward to games. And so we have this big picture overview, which in essence still links with the CrossFit season uh, for our competitive athletes. And then we have these micro goals around um, competitions. And then we one of the roles to see is that actually the athletes are progressing and, and kind of hitting the milestones at the right time and then being able to tweak things to make sure that, that that's happening. Hmm. Uh, and it's actually so that athletes can feel more supported. Um, you know, they, they have, like our coaches just have to worry about coaching, you know, which is, which is really nice. Hmm. You know, like it's very hard. This is the kind of hard thing that you get into is all of a sudden you have to worry about all these extra different things. And that takes away from the quality you can be as a coach. You know, when you're trying to grow this, you're trying to do that, you're trying to worry about whatever it may be. And so actually the coaches can kind of come in and just coach. And and having that kind of mindset of like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it extremely well is really useful and, and, and very powerful. And also it just means that our behind the kind of behind the scenes team is growing and can support the athletes in a in a lot better way. Um the plan then for the next few months you've got uh Rogue and then Waterpalooza. How involved do you get when if if someone's going to Waterpalooza on a team and you're not like say one of the people like hypothetically one of the people who might that be oh no i don't know but just <laughs> hypothetically one of the people was on a team and wasn't the other two weren't how involved do you get um so i think in that role you know like the, the idea is to in essence create like a, a fun environment and just make sure things are supported and optimized you know we're not going to go into the, they're not team athletes they're not looking to compete in team but they're going to go throw down and do the best they can do um, a Waterpalooza and I'll just be in a supportive role like you know if, if anything's needed we're not going to kind of change alter programming um, we might have like um, a mini camp over in Mallorca just to make sure like they're happy with synchro movements worm those kind of mm. things that might come up but it's not going to be a big it's more of a fun thing for the athletes to do rather than like a focus of the year yeah okay so it's not going to be like a daily grind or something it'll just be a an enjoyable enjoyable experience um are you uh, is there anything else then are you dubai is anyone going to dubai yeah um we actually um georgos georgos the greek um came on board so he'll be okay. one of our athletes to dubai we also have ella who's um from sweden she's at semis um who's going to dubai so we have a few athletes there there's a madrid challenger series waterpalooza we've got people going to marbella butchers Oh, Marbella is like next week, isn't it? Next weekend. Yeah, exactly. So we, we've got a good team going over there. I'll be, you know, the thing with the US trips is like it takes so long. Like 
the travel is basically going to be like two weeks um, for a three-day competition in essence of, mm. of like traveling, coming back. So these longer trips take take quite a while. The European ones are there. You know, we've got athletes at German throwdown. So actually looking at the calendar, it's going to be super busy between now and um, now in the open really with, with everything coming up. Are you anticipating you, any... Sorry, one. Are you a Wadapalooza? Yes. See this I'm not Wadapalooza. Um, I'm waiting for someone in Dubai to have some kind of meltdown and be like, do you know what would be a good idea? <laughs> I think I'll be waiting a while. Um, do you anticipate any changes to the structure of the season next year? Honestly, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if we see changes, you know? I, I, I would not be surprised if we see some changes. Um going through hopefully they're not like significant changes so we can kind of i think everyone you know everyone's enjoying the consistency at the moment the brands mm. the athletes the coaches the people involved the spectators it kind of just means you can follow along in a bit of an easier way mm. um so so I, I i imagine because of the sport we're in we'll see some uh, some changes get rid of everything <laughs> yeah. actually guys you know it's just what? The top five from the it. open and that's it we're gonna try this crazy idea um someone in accounting had an idea um well listen thanks uh for coming back on best luck with everything in in the off season um it's going to be exciting um and yeah we'll we'll catch up throughout and we'll we'll stay in touch and it's always great to pick your brain a bit yeah well thank you for having me on